eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bream. Unique show on Monday. Eric Scopel is off today for the podcast. I've got an interview set up with former Oregon athlete Jordan Kenton. By athlete, I say that because he played football, basketball, ran track. And we're going to go over the whole gamut of Oregon athletics. We're going to talk about his time at Oregon. We're going to talk about what led him to choosing to play football, which ultimately led him to making an NFL roster, being drafted. NFL roster in, in the NFL draft, and, and in the NFL we'll draft. also talk to him and about we'll also basketball. About we'll also talk to him about what he's doing now. He's about what he's doing now. He's more recognizable media faces, more recognizable state of Oregon, covering the Portland Trailblazers. Covering he also talks Trailblazers basketball. He also talks about working basketball. NBC Sports Northwest, NBC Sports Northwest, the Portland Oregon area, the Portland Oregon area. So we've got a ton. So we've got a ton on this. Get show, to uh, on this, this show, with this podcast. Before uh, I want to, before we get into it, I want to remind anyone out there that uh, if anyone out there that Duck Territory, you're not a duck, please consider duck Territory doing subscriber. That. You can please in, consider doing that. You can uh, VIP get membership your first VIP membership your first VIP DuckTerritory.com for one dollar. DuckTerritory.com for one dollar. After that, it bumps up to nine ninety five. Inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the Oregon Duck Insiders, access to the Oregon Duck Insiders. Insiders Eric like Scopel, myself, Kevin Wade, Eric Scopel, Kevin the Wade, insiders, Greg across Biggin, the networks Fong, insiders, Greg Biggins, Steve Wolfong, Brandon Huffman, and the list goes on and on. Exclusive recruiting coverage. Exclusive recruiting coverage. Your, your regular price and then when you're paying your, your regular month, price of $9.95 per uh, month or if you jump in to pay the annual bill, you get CBS All Access for free as an add-on. That's a $99 value for free. Stream 10,000 shows, live movies. When sports come back, they'll be provided on that platform as well. All commercial free. So highly encourage you guys to jump in on that. Now let's welcome in Jordan Kent onto the show. Jordan, man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. How how are you holding up right now and in, in these times? You know, holding up really well, much like yourself, Matt, and I appreciate you having me on. I work from home most of the time during the day before I go into the studio for shows. And so I'm used to having the home office set up. And I think I saw your starter pack where it's like Amazon Prime and Spotify <laughs> and everything. So Doing well, and with a 16-month-old, we still stay on a pretty good schedule, and so it's actually been pretty nice, and I think we're just taking it a day at a time and not assuming there's a certain date when things are finished, but just making the most of sort of this unique opportunity. How about you guys? 
Yeah, we're doing good. Same thing. I, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but if you work in the sports world, uh, whether that's athlete or covering the sport or management, you spend a lot of time at home working. So, mm. I mean, like you just said, like my routine really hasn't changed other than, you know, I now have some coworkers. I have two kids at home and, and I've got a wife who's also working and trying to, you know, time and everything right where it's school work is getting done and, you know, the, the kids are doing their digital learning and then the wife's got conference calls that she's got to be on. So we've all got to be quiet and, you know, flip the script. Here I am doing a show and they're all different parts of the house, you know, doing their thing. So it's, it's figuring stuff out there, but you know, for the most part, like outside of going to my normal games or practices, like uh, everything for me is, is, is pretty standard. It's, it's what it's been now. Um, I, I think we'll see what it's like in two months. <laughs> like if, if right. this year I might be going crazy uh, being inside <laughs> the house. But um, one thing I am looking forward to, and I want to start here when we're talking with you, because you do a whole bunch of stuff, um, is your camps. And you put on summer camps, you put on spring camps, winter camps for kids. You've been putting out some material and, and some product for people at home with kids now. What can parents do right now that you're that you're helping with um, for kids are, are at home? What, what what are you putting out right now? Yeah, well, our camps have been really fun and we're getting ready for our ninth summer. And obviously things might adjust based upon where we are at as a nation and as a world at that time. But we feel more than ever having safe fun, entertaining options for kids to get outside and be active are going to be very valuable this summer because they have been inside. I mean, I can't imagine how many hours of Fortnite are getting logged in during these next couple of weeks while kids are at home. And so right. nothing wrong with that when it's raining, but I think getting outside, it would be good for everybody's sanity here in the summer. But we work with over 1,500 kids uh, across Oregon and Southwest Washington and uh, it's been really fun just to work with kids and provide these multi-sport camps where kids choose between football, basketball, and soccer. And then we also provide a daily life skill, nutrition education. But there's so much more that goes to it as far as just the atmosphere we have for the kids and the excitement and the engagement that we have with them throughout the day that has really been my favorite thing I've had a chance to do in my whole life just because – you build a great relationship with the kids and you see them grow up throughout the years. And Matt, I'm going to really date myself here now because <laughs> I gave a talk at Oregon a couple years ago and there was a kid in class that had gone to like our very first clinic back in 09. I was like, okay, now we've That's come awesome. full circle. So the, the goal is to do these until our first couple of kids, the first couple of years are then sending their kids to camp. Then I feel That's like awesome. we've really come <laughs> full circle. But We'll, we'll be doing something this summer for sure. And I think once we know what the summer calendar is looking like, whether it is a typical summer vacation or if activities really don't open up until July, we've got offerings all across the state. Like I said, we're in Eugene, all over the greater Portland area, Bend, Salem, Southern Oregon, uh, Camas, Washington. We have plans to go to Boise this summer. So we're there and people can check out more information at jordankentcamps.com. And, you know, we're excited, obviously, to see how things kind of go and, you know, really open these up and make them available to whoever wants to go to them this year based upon just everything everyone's been through as a family. And so, you know, we looked at the situation right now, Matt, where 
everyone's at home and there's kind of two schools of thought i think if you're a business owner and they both kind of make sense number one you do want to offer products and services and see if there's anything that people can do to purchase something from you but we also thought hey here's an opportunity where we can provide something for families just to help them with this new schedule and routine for the day of keeping their kids entertained and so we've been doing a hashtag healthy kids challenge over the last two weeks and it's been really awesome we basically come up with a workout for the day it's something you know relatively short eight or ten minutes and ask the parents to take a video of their kids doing it and then tag us and it's been crazy we've actually doubled our following on instagram since we started it about a week and a half ago and we feel it's a good time just to build your audience and give them something that they can benefit from. So there's that component with the physical fitness, of course. And then next week, we'll be rolling out a nutrition education curriculum. I've spent kind of the last couple of years working on and just sort of offered it to a couple of other schools, but it's called Level Up Health, and it's a PDF that parents can print at home, and it's over 130 pages of this sort of 10 chapter nutrition education. And if you like old school video games like myself, that's the whole thing. Yes, that's the whole theme with everything is kids do exercises, they earn points, and as they accumulate points, you as the parent decide what the reward is for each level they advance to as far as getting experience points. So really fun. Check out leveluphealth.org and we're going to be rolling out more resources for parents. Um, We're doing 50% off the book right now and feel, hey, here's something that you can use to help educate and entertain your kids for multiple hours and it'll be less than $15. So we're excited for that. And so, yeah, it's when you mention all that, plus the sports coverage, there's a lot to stay busy, busy. With right now, to be honest. Yeah, the days have been flying by, and so it's been fun. And then also, of course, like yourself, you just get a chance to connect and catch up with so many other people that you probably wouldn't have time to catch up with just because we're all so busy. But now you have a chance to slow down and see how they're doing. So we're really making the most of this opportunity. What What do you think led you to starting your camps that have become highly successful and widely popular, not just in in Portland and Eugene, but you're expanding into different states. And then what led to you wanting to, to go into level up health? Yeah. So with the camps, I remember just growing up and really enjoying my youth camp experiences, whether that was basketball camp at St. Mary's College back in California when I was a kid or the Oregon basketball camps. And, and really enjoyed them and also realized how impactful they could be for kids. And so when I got done playing in the NFL, I was trying to figure out what to do like so many other players do that first sort of year or two when you're done with this NFL routine and you have to enter into a completely different structure of life. And, you know, what's nice, Matt, is that we failed miserably out the gate, which was really good because we learned a lot. And so I remember starting them out as trying to be these super competitive high school football combines. And we had this really ambitious plan to cover like 20 cities in the West Coast over the summer. And we were charging way too much. And I think at the end of the day, we had maybe five kids actually pay for the summer. And we ended up only hosting like four of these little clinics for a total of 40 kids. (laughs) And so (laughs) you got done with the summer and you're sort of picking up the pieces thinking, well, gosh, what do I do next? And um, I just remember thinking about, okay, what did I enjoy as a kid? 
and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm more of a 12 year old at heart than I am a, a super intense, you know, football coach and trainer. And so we restructured things and just thought about um, creating a multi-sport camp experience for kids where they could choose one sport for the week or they could try a different sport each week. And this is back in 2012. And we just sort of slowly grew. We did three camps in Eugene that first summer and one in Portland and had about 300 kids and it was great. And then we started experimenting with other things as far as um, adding golf and agility and trying like a baseball only camp. And, you know, some things work and some things don't. But each year you just sort of take a couple of calculated risks for the sake of growth, understanding that the more kids we can reach an impact, the more positive impact we can have on these kids. And we just eventually continued to grow and grow each year. And really the niche that we're trying to carve is we're a camp for all abilities. And so right. if you're a kid that is a pretty young stud, well, we can tailor our drills to kind of give you those one or two wrinkles to really challenge you. But if you're also a kid that just started playing their sport, our camps are a great, safe, welcoming environment for you to learn how to fall in love with your sport. But we also take a lot of breaks to do fun stuff. And for me, probably much like you, Matt, you grew up on Nickelodeon as a yes. kid. And you remember guts and wild yep. and crazy kids. And so it's kind of taking some components of that where we have some really fun random games throughout the day so it's not six hours of drills we're just burning out these poor kids it's like half hour of drills then we come together for a group game and one of those games might be hey we have a giant inflatable dice there's six lines if your number gets rolled everybody gets a little wristband that you can turn in for a raffle ticket later or other games that we do and so you know there's a lot of really fun things that we do and we're selling just a very fun impactful week and we tell the parents we'll send the kids home happy and tired that's our goal yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm i'm a full component of that I mean, my, yeah. <laughs> my, my son is my oldest has gone to your camp and i can attest to that you know he's gone to other camps that are designed to be structured for all day long and very super competitive and he's had fun at those but then he's gone to yours and he's had the same amount of fun uh, in a more low-key, you know, low-stress type of environment where everyone can succeed. And I'll be honest, like my my oldest is not the most athletic, not the most talented athlete at his age level, and and yet your camp finds ways for him to feel like he was successful. I think that's as a parent, that's the most important thing that you want to see when your kid comes home from a camp is that he had fun and that he felt like. He was successful at whatever they did. Absolutely, because for us, we feel one of the lessons we teach the kids on the final day is stay in your square. And what that means is don't compare yourself to other people. It's so easy nowadays, adults and kids are all guilty of this, of looking at the person to your left or right and comparing yourself to them. And two things typically happen. Number one, you either feel very proud about yourself for no deserved reason because you think, oh, well, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. I have more of this. I have more of that. But more oftentimes than not, we oftentimes feel bad about our current situation because we're looking at everything else other people might have that we don't have. And we tell the kids, just stay in your own lane and run your own race. And success to you is really finding, number one, what you're talented at. And that means you have to try a lot of different things. You're going to figure out what you're naturally talented at. And number two, it's find out what you're passionate about. 
And as you try different things, you're going to realize, hey, I like this. I maybe don't like that. And if you can find that perfect intersection of where talent and passion meet, then that's what success is. And it might take you a year. It might take you five years. It might take you 10 years. But part of the joy is just figuring that out. And so we really challenge these kids to set their own personal goals for success and not be discouraged by comparing themselves to other people. And I think that's why our model works so well, because we're not saying, hey, we're going to turn you into a you know, four or five star for sure, right. guaranteed, and this is what you're shooting for. It's no, just be the best you that only you can be. And if you pursue that, all that other stuff will come if it's meant to be. So, um, so that's just a taste of kind of what we offer and what we provide. And there's a lot of camps out there and parents have a lot of choices, but we feel we can really be a nice addition to everyone's summer plans just based upon how unique we position ourselves with that combination of fun, pricing, experience, and feedback that the kids get from us. Now, one other thing that you do, or one of the many other things that you do is, is you are basically the, the host of all Blazers on yes. NBC <laughs> Sports. Uh, and, and I'm I'm curious, just what led you to going into the media field? You know, you, you finish up at Oregon, you go on to the NFL for multiple seasons there, and then what led you to transitioning to the media side? So I had my first taste of the media world. I came back to Oregon for an offseason after my third year in the NFL, and I was with the Rams. And I got a chance to hop on as a guest for a show called Talking Ball at the time on Comcast Sportsnet Northwest is what the channel was called. Now it's NBC Sports Northwest. And I remember getting done with this one-hour show as a guest analyst and getting that same high or feeling you had after playing a game and that's when I knew I wanted to try and pursue a career in this. I had grown up watching Stuart Scott, Rich Eisen, Dan Patrick, all those guys during SportsCenter's heyday and, and loved what they did, but really wasn't quite sure how you get started in, in that. And after getting my first taste of that back in, gosh, 2010, you know, the folks at Comcast SportsCenter at the time said, hey, anytime you want to hop on, just let us know. And so... When I got cut in September of 2010 from training camp um, on the final day of cuts with the Rams, I just told them, hey, I'm back in Oregon. Can I get some more reps? And they said, absolutely. So, Matt, I would drive from Eugene to Portland for these 10 o'clock shows and then get back home at 1 a.m. on my own dime, not getting paid doing this. And I probably did about a dozen of these shows over the next seven or eight months. And then obviously – the NBA lockout hit in 2011 and a network that was based around primarily trailblazers coverage was now starving for content. And fortunately this was also the time that Oregon football was making their media, uh, media their huge race here. And you saw the year after the national championship game, they wanted to do some more programming. And so they asked me, Hey, would you like to host a show? And I lied and said yes, as far as my <laughs> capability of doing so. And I thought I was going to get this like two week boot camp as far as how to become a host or broadcaster, but it was really just a one time practice run with Nate Costa and Matt Brock. And after that, they said, Okay, here we go. And we don't use a teleprompter at all either. So that began my broadcasting career in 2011. I was doing one show a week during football season called Talking Ducks. 
And it just sort of snowballed from there, to be honest, because as you got exposure on that show, you got asked to do more speaking engagements, which led to more connections. Um, Another big break for me was doing some work for the Olympic trials in 2012 and really getting a chance to showcase some of the MC work. And then after adding three or four more shows for NBC Sports and doing Oregon basketball shows, uh, the Blazers approached me because they had an opening for their pregame, halftime, postgame show host. And, you know, that's a wonderful opportunity and something that you certainly want to do. And I was fortunate enough where because it's on the same network as Duck Stuff, you didn't really have to give anything up. And so... Now it's a full calendar of those events, and with it, as I said, it snowballed into other things, doing stuff for the Olympic trials, uh, some stuff for the NCAA track and field meets, doing some casting for Nintendo tournaments. I mean, you name it, I've had a chance to kind of do it, and it's been really fun. I've been really grateful, and I tell people trying to get started in this industry, you got to really grind in the beginning. You're not going to have it be your primary job in the beginning. You have to say yes to everything, but just realize your opportunity will come if you work hard and make yourself easy to work with. But that opportunity comes at a different time for everybody, and there is some luck involved. Yeah, I 100% am behind you the fact that you have to grind, and it it can't be your primary job starting out. I'm the same way. I I was done with school in 2008 when the recession hit and I just started writing every day one thing uh, about sports and then took an internship at a radio station and then flipped that into part-time work on the weekends, flipped that into nights every single night during the week and you know, lo- you know, just flipping stuff, opportunities. And so I 100% agree with you that you have to grind and um it's it's funny did you when you were a kid, I imagine like most of us, uh, the difference between you and me is you actually lived it. I did not. Uh, <laughs> but you went pro in sports. But did did you think that when you gr- were growing up, like, hey, uh, I, I want to work in the media? Or was that even on the radar You know, during college or, or in high school? Was that even something that you considered? It, it was something that seemed attractive to me for sure because, like I said, watching – Stuart Scott, Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen, Keith Olbermann, Kenny Main, during those golden years for Sports Center seemed like it'd be really, really fun and just not being quite sure how you get into that line of work. But I think getting the experience of being interviewed on camera during high school and college, you were comfortable and familiar and knew how to talk sports and listening to sports talk radio and watching all those shows. So it's definitely something I wanted to do someday. I just didn't realize how much I would enjoy it. But then once you get into it, you also realize how much of an art there is to it as well. And there's a lot more than just talking at the camera. There's so many different things you have to think of and consider, especially as a host. Um, with your role and responsibilities that I've really enjoyed the challenge of it over the last couple of years and everything that comes with it. So for me, as I said, it's something that I imagined when I got done playing sports, I wanted to get into. I just didn't realize it was something that would happen so quickly after I got done playing and that I'd have the opportunity to do what I'm doing now. Because if you went back and told my 13 year old self that, Hey, you get to talk about the Oregon Ducks, their alma mater, which right. you know, a lot of people don't get a chance to do that, talk about their alma mater. If they're getting into broadcasting, it'd be completely different if I was working at like Big Ten Network versus doing stuff primarily about the Ducks and about the Blazers and being able to live in your hometown state and then 
getting a chance to do all these other opportunities like talking about video games and talking about track and field. It's, it really is a dream come true sometimes. Let's go to your high school times. Your dad was the head coach at, at Oregon for basketball. I think everyone knows that. Uh, one of the best head coaches ever. You were one of the best athletes in the state of Oregon all time, whether that's basketball or track. What was your recruiting experience like? I mean, obviously, it's different because the person that was recruiting you lived in the same home, uh, from <laughs> at least from a basketball standpoint. But but did like you ever consider going – away from from Oregon or like I think outside perspective wise everyone probably just assumed oh he's going to go to Oregon like he's from Eugene his dad is the head coach at Oregon from a track perspective there's no better program in the country than Oregon why would he why would he not go to Oregon but was there ever other options for you or were you considering other schools there really was. And first of all, thank you for the kind compliments about my high school career. I'm glad you got the 20 bucks I sent you in the mail right there. <laughs> but it, it was a blessing and a curse when I look back. And I don't use curse in a negative sense, really. But, you know, most people in high school, they start to really excel and specialize in one sport. And it's clear as far as that's the sport they're going to do at the collegiate level. Um, you know, we do get a fair share of football and track guys because I think those two sports really have great synergy but you'll get a couple football basketball guys but there's not a lot of basketball track the seasons are right after one another and the track season kind of eats into the basketball individual workouts but at the same time it was hard not to want to pursue both because basketball in high school we'd won a state title my junior year I was first team all state my senior year, I got invited to the Nike All-American camp as a junior. Like you're checking all the boxes that you would think a potential NBA player would check in their career, right? And then for track, you know, I was fortunate enough to win a couple state titles there and set two state records. And you're looking at that thinking, well, I can't say no to that either. And so you chose to pursue both. And in high school, you feel, okay, I'm successful both at a high level. I can do that at college. But Obviously, in college, you need to be able to specialize in one to truly be the best you can be at one of those sports. And at my time of the recruiting, you know, prior to that spring, Oregon basketball was coming off a 14 and 14 campaign. And it was Luke and Luke's freshman year, and they really weren't doing anything special. And then even the track team, they'd been okay, but they weren't dominant like they were today. But I think just running in those high school meets at Hayward Field and seeing just the energy and how historic it was. And then obviously the opportunity to play for my dad was really enticing. But there was a school I was very close to considering. And I was offered a full ride for track for Stanford. And Vin Lanana was the coach at Stanford at the time. And that was really hard to turn down. And when I was getting ready to go on my recruiting visit to Stanford – 9-11 had just happened. And so a lot of people were sort of leery about traveling and everything like that. And I just thought, okay, I think this is pretty cut and dry. Like, I'm going to go to Oregon. I, I probably had my choice of schools for track and field and had a good selection of schools for basketball. But it, it just made too much sense. And talking to my dad, he definitely wanted to recruit me. But he wanted to also make sure that he was making a wise basketball decision. And two of his assistants at the time said – this is a no-brainer. This is a position of need, and we need to recruit him. So 
for me, it wasn't your traditional recruiting process where you're flying to four or five different schools and getting a chance to check those out because I think, yeah, it's pretty safe to assume if you're a coach's kid and you're good enough to play at the Division One level, that's the first school you're going to consider. But uh, for me, Oregon was the best choice and something I would do 10 out of 10 times. I mean, obviously, a Stanford education, who's going to turn that down? down. <laughs> very tough to turn down. But I look at where I'm at in life today, and there's no way that doesn't happen if I don't go to Oregon. What was it like being a redshirt? Because at least in basketball, I don't, I don't believe you redshirted in track, but um, I have to imagine any athlete is is very self-confident. And to, to, to go from where you're at of the best in the state at multiple sports to then having to just sit and watch for a year. How did that help you, whether that was in sports or, or in life? How much did that season help you and just your growth? Well, it helped me a lot because I was really young for my grade. I graduated high school at 17 years old. So my birthday wasn't until July 24th. So I was pretty young as a senior in high school, to be honest. And so I just think a year of physical maturation was really important for me. And you know, playing in practice against the Luke and Lukes, you certainly could hold your own with those guys, but there wasn't going to be a lot of playing time that freshman year. When you look at who we had right there, you had Luke and Luke starting, you had an Andre Joseph, you had a James Davis, Brandon Lincoln was one of our recruits as well too. There weren't a lot of minutes at that two and three spot on the court, to be honest. And so I just felt redshirting for a year just to get bigger and stronger was really going to be helpful. And you know, it's certainly tough because you want to go out and play the games. And I think it can disrupt your rhythm as far as just playing in front of a crowd in meaningful minutes. I'll never forget how fast the game sort of felt my second year when you really got onto the court for the first time. Because once again, back then, you couldn't step onto the floor for any type of game or else it automatically counted as a season. It wasn't like you could play three or four games, kind of get your foot in the water and then redshirt. It was either... You know, it's the Dennis Dixon situation. You play a down or a snap, that counts versus you step into the game for 30 seconds, that counts as a season. So while it was difficult, I think it just gave me a chance to really physically mature, which is something I needed at that point. You're listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast with Jordan Kent. Uh, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Breen. We've got Jordan Kent on the show. And uh, what's, when you think back to your college days, how did football come up? Because I am, I don't think, maybe it was as simple as this. Maybe you just woke up one day and was just like, I want to play football. I am assuming it probably wasn't like that. But how did that happen? Like, how did, how did it go from, hey, I could maybe do this to maybe I'm going to explore doing this to then I'm actually trying out for football. How did that process happen for you? Well, I always grew up a football fan. I followed the sport. I played a ton of Tecmo Super Bowl growing up. <laughs> I, I always watched the NFL. So I definitely was a fan of football and understood for the most part, as well as a fan could, how the game was played. So it wasn't completely foreign to me. And that was right after my third year in school. So I had two years of basketball eligibility. I played through two years of track. And for basketball, the writing was on the wall. You weren't going to be an NBA player with those numbers and statistics and whatnot. And the thought of going overseas and playing and having basketball be your only sport, well, not so much at that time. And then same thing with track where you were maybe a half second away in the hundred, maybe a foot and a half, two feet away in the long jump from being Olympic caliber. But those are huge chasms to overcome. And with track, you can't just say, well, I'm going to go out and run harder. You're either sort of blessed with it or you aren't. And it's just a matter of how much of your potential can you maximize. And so the more I thought about it, I'd always kind of flirted with the idea and the Oregon football coaches at the time, Mike Bellotti and those guys and Aliotti, I'd always see them at training table. They'd always give me a hard time and say, oh, come on out to football. You can just <laughs> run a couple fade routes. We'll just throw some lollipops up for you. It'd be a piece of cake. And yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, guys, sure, whatever, whatever. But really, it, it came after a pickup game in the summer and Luke Jackson, who had been in the NBA for a year or two at this point, came over to me and said, dude, you should play football. I was like, really? He's like, man, you'd be so good at it. And I think you'd have a chance to make the NFL, you know, considering where basketball is going and stuff like that. So to kind of have somebody give me that type of confidence was enough to sort of intrigue me. And I remember talking to a couple guys on the team like, yeah, that'd be that'd be cool because I, I wasn't like a key member of the basketball team. I was the sort of the glue guy and I came in and did all the dirty work. And so that isn't something you really have to have a high skill level to do. If that makes sense, you just have to be an athlete on the court and work hard and you don't need to spend hours in the gym doing that. And so I didn't feel like I'd be sacrificing a lot with my basketball productivity and with track, I just figured it helped that out a little bit. So I remember just then walking into the Casanova Center at the time where the football team had their offices. And I thought, well, I'm going to go see if these guys are serious, kind of call these coaches on their bluff. And I'll never forget, I go to the restroom first and, you know, I'm using one of the urinals and a coach comes in and he totally ignores the unwritten code of the urinals in the men's <laughs> restroom, Matt. He, there's eight urinals on the wall and he saddles up right next to me and there's no one else in there. I'm thinking, okay, this is a little weird. And 
you know, I didn't know what coach coached what position at that time. And it ends up at the time being Dan Farino, the wide receivers coach. And I don't know this. And he says, hey, how's the summer going? I said, eh, not too bad. And he said, you got anything new planned? I said, well, it's actually, you know, he, he actually said, when are you coming out for football? I said, well, it's funny you mentioned that. So we shook on it after washing our hands, of course. And <laughs> they, uh, they walked me into the coach's office and you know, they talk, walk me into Aliotti's office, and Farino's like, look who wants to play football. And Aliotti springs out of his chair, and he's like, oh, yeah, well, if you were going to play basketball, and he writes the number 40,000 on the whiteboard, you might make that overseas. overseas. But then he starts adding zeros to it and says, but you could play in the <laughs> NFL. I'm like, easy, Nick. And we kind of went by each coach's office, and they sort of – got surprised and gave me this used car salesman lot about how easy it would be and how great it would be. And I remember calling my dad after this meeting because it's like, I still have to run this by my dad and my coach, by the way, and said, Dad, would you still love me if I decided to do something? And he said, are you getting married? I said, no, I'm 20 (laughs) years old right now. And I told him that I wanted to play football, and his first response was, you're not playing no damn football. (laughs) So... um, I thought that was kind of that, but then Mike Bellotti, I guess, had a talk with him and just said, hey, why don't you just let him catch some passes with Kellen Clemens? We'll see how it goes. So, Matt, it's July 25th. We're like two weeks away from the start of fall camp, and I'm in Autzen Stadium with no gloves and running shoes, and I'm playing catch with Kellen Clemens. And my dad was sitting up in the stands by himself, and he counted, and I caught like 58 of the 60 passes. And Kellen said, he's doing some stuff that some of our guys on our team aren't doing as well right now. And Kellen kind of gave him that vote of confidence. And then that was followed up with me putting on a helmet for the first time, trying to play catch. And I still have it in my office. As I look at it, I have an offensive lineman's helmet from Churchill with no chin strap. (laughs) And so that thing was like a bucket on my head. It's wobbling around. I'm trying to catch fade routes from Kellen in the second day with the sun in my eyes. You know, those are hard passes to catch. I don't think people realize how hard it is to catch a 50-yard pass over your shoulder with a helmet while you're running full speed. And this whole time, the secondary is the only position group out there doing their workouts. And I just look like one of those wounded (laughs) antelopes in the safari right now. And so, um, yeah, that's sort of the genesis of it. And they basically, the football coaching staff said, well, let's just see how fall camp goes and I didn't even know how to put on my pads, but over the first couple of days, I guess I showed enough that I wasn't going to get myself killed out there and that there was enough raw talent. But, you know, a lot of credit goes to the coaching staff for their confidence. But then I would say to the players primarily, they could have easily made it really difficult for me and thought, what is this guy doing out here? But I, to this day, I'll never forget their generosity and their encouragement as far as helping me sort of learn the ropes as I got out there and picked up the sport. And even though it was one of the most difficult things I ever did, it's the best decision I ever made in my life when it came to athletics or a career. What was your your first padded practice like? I mean, I remember mine in high school always being extremely sore the next day as someone that had never gone through a padded practice before and now all of a sudden is playing college football. What, what was that like afterwards? Well, it, it, you're just amazed at how restricted you feel at first. It's one thing to catch passes and shorts and no helmet, but when you've got a helmet on and full pads, you're just getting used to not having the same field of vision and range of movement that you typically do in your other sports. And, 
you know, there's some stuff from basketball that carries over as far as recognizing man defense, zone defense, finding where the soft spots in the coverage are and footwork and pivoting and everything. So that kind of came naturally. But, you know, you definitely take some good hits as far as coming across the middle and getting your legs taken out from underneath you or, you know, catching a quick out. And all of a sudden the safety's right there to just pop you in the face. And, you know, you don't get that gradual learning curve as far as, you take hits the Pop Warner level and nothing really hurts. You all just kind of bounce off the turf. Right. Then the physicality kind of ramps up. You're dealing with Division One physicality right out the gate. <laughs> and that's what surprised me was just the speed of the sport and how things happen in a fraction of a second. You have to have your head on a swivel all the time. Let's transition to this year's basketball team. Um, you, you have a unique experience of playing for this program and being an Oregonian as well. What does Peyton Pritchard mean to Oregon basketball in the history? Where do you think he will fall legacy-wise? I, I think I've not seen Ronnie Lee. You and me are very close in age. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen Ronnie Lee. Uh, I have seen a ton. I saw everything of Luke Ridnour. I saw everything of Freddie Jones, everything of Luke Jackson. I think just of the importance of Peyton Pritchard. He may be the most, he's not the most talented, but the most important player for his team that we saw in Oregon history. I think he's in that discussion. Yeah. I think what he meant to this team, it's really hard to find another individual Oregon basketball player that meant more to a specific team. Because if you look at Luke Ridenauer, he obviously had a chance to share the load with Luke Jackson and Freddie Jones. That was three lottery, lottery picks, picks on the same team. And I think if you're looking at recency, Peyton Pritchard, without a doubt, a top five Oregon basketball player of the last 20 years. And you're right. We never had a chance to see Ronnie Lee. The game was so different back then as well, too. So these whole like top five, top 10 of all time conversations are a little difficult to have because just the game has changed so much. But I was so happy for Peyton Pritchard because being an Oregonian, the unique perspective I have is just the value of what a impact and a legacy can be. And not saying that I've got like this great legacy or anything like that, but being 35 years old and being 10 plus years removed from my college experience, you start to realize now just what it means to be one of those players that resonates with Duck fans. And what I mean is, Matt, we've seen a ton of talented players come and go through Oregon and people that had all sorts of talent. But every once in a while, there are those players that maybe they're not the most talented, maybe they are, but they just seem to stick and resonate with fans. And in my neighborhood now, there's eight season ticket holders that the day we moved in, they all know and recognize you just from remembering you when you played. And just having that sense of connection and impact and really just sort of resource, it's unbelievably valuable. And that's why I was so glad to see Peyton return for a senior season, Justin Herbert return for their senior season, because both those players, after their junior season, okay, nice careers, nice local kids, but Were they all-time greats? No. Were they Hall of Famers? Probably not. But what Peyton did his senior season solidified himself in Oregon basketball history. And we don't know what his professional career is going to look like. I, I think he's an NBA player, and I think he certainly has a spot in the league. But 
what he's done at Oregon because of this season will be with him for the rest of his life. And I don't think he will really understand and appreciate that until he's been removed for a while. Because every single person that is a fan of Oregon basketball during this period is now going to remember Peyton Pritchard. We're not going to really remember some of these other guys. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, uh, we've seen some good players in Arsenal and Kazemi. That's great. Joe Young, you know, yeah, nice player. He won a Pac-10, uh, you know, a conference player of the year. That's nice. But even like Bull Bull and some of these other yeah. guys that have been one-and-dones, okay, great. We're going to have other one-and-dones. But you're not going to have another four-year local player that stayed and cemented his legacy the way that Peyton Pritchard did. And I just think that's so invaluable when you are looking back at your life and you look at all the things that come with it when you're done playing someday. You also have the unique experience of, I think this is, Oregon's going to have to replace Pritchard. And there's no one player that you can do that with. Like, I mean, I, I'm very high on Will Richardson. I think he's going to be a very good player. I think he has a chance to be even a Pac-12 player of the year candidate. You know, a guy that could put up those numbers to do that, um, maybe as a senior. But replacing what Pritchard did last season by one person is going to be very difficult. It's almost impossible. You were on a team that had to replace probably the best point guard that's come since uh, before Peyton Pritchard, and that's Luke Ridnauer. Just what's, as a team, like, take us into that process. Like, what is next year's Oregon basketball going to have to figure out with Peyton Pritchard being gone. Cause you did that when you were part of that team, when Luke Gridnauer went pro as a junior and, you know, was arguably one of college basketball's best players for, you know, his three seasons in college basketball. You know, when you replace a player like that, it's less about the numbers and more about the off the court impact with, Luke Rittenauer being gone, it's a tremendous amount of confidence you lose on the team. It's a tremendous amount of work ethic, leadership. And, and we use those terms all the time in the media. And what do they mean? Well, they mean a lot because it's really the backbone of your team's mental makeup. And that person that you have the confidence in those difficult moments when you're on the road and it's a one-possession game, you know, okay, we have Peyton on the court. So we feel good about everything we, we're doing. We feel like we're in control. That's the difficult thing to make up and what this Oregon team will miss next year. Yes, you're going to miss the near 20 points per game. But as you said, that's just three or four guys stepping up their game and averaging six, seven points more per game to get that production. But it's the it's the leadership that you really miss. And it takes a special player to fill that void in that second year. And I don't know what that'll look like for Oregon next year. And that's where it's going to be difficult because a coaching staff can only do so much. It's that on floor leadership and toughness that you only get by being through three years of fires like Peyton was coming into this season and comes with the experience. And is there enough returning experience in those moments to provide that for Oregon? That's going to be the most difficult thing to replace. Let's wrap this up with this last question. Just how would you like if if we were looking at Oregon basketball as a stock right now? How would you evaluate their long term projections of just who's supposed to be coming back and you know going into that of how many guys do they have coming back w w that have gone through the fires and the experiences that you were talking about? What's just your outlook uh, of Oregon basketball right now? 
Listen, Oregon basketball is always going to be a blue chip stock because of Dana Altman and his coaching staff. It's much like what we've seen for years with Oregon football prior to all the coaching changes we saw. You see a staff that's really staying in place, and that means a tremendous amount. And so I look at the group of guys coming back next season, and there's a lot of athleticism on the court, and you've seen this, Matt. There's just some refinement that needs to take place, especially with a lot of the freshmen that we saw. I mean, you look at the talent of, you know, what we've seen with C.J. Walker and Chandler Lawson. Great, rangy, athletic guys, but you see some overpenetration, some overdribbling, just a little bit out of control and just getting used to the college game. I think if they can take that step where they're playing a little bit more fundamentally on offense with all this athleticism they have, if they can stay healthy, and really if they can get things figured out defensively. Because they have the makeup to be a terrific defensive team with this range and size and how athletic their bigs are. But how soon are these young players going to understand that very complicated matchup zone that Oregon likes to run frequently? I think if Coach Altman can continue to do what he's doing, this team has the makeup, maybe not next year, you know, maybe they don't win the conference title next year, but I think two, three years from now, they're going to be right at the top with everybody else. And I think you really have to credit Coach Altman and what he's done with this coaching staff, where it seems like no matter what ingredients you give him, he's able to cook up something unbelievable. That's Jordan Kent. Jordan, thank you for, for coming on the Austin Audible's podcast. We'll have to uh, catch up when we are allowed to meet each other in person uh, sometime soon, whenever that is. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. As long as you bring me some of that smoked brisket, we are good to go next time. <laughs> I can do that. I absolutely can do that. I'll be doing that this weekend, actually. So, uh, awesome. I'll Thanks be again, good vibes your way. You too. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.